All right, well, uh, before we get started this morning, uh, Rick, would you hand same similar piece of paper out that we went through last week? Just pass that around. If you just make sure you we've if you checked it last week, we made those boxes green. We're talking about your availability for an elder interview. If you're say more than fifty percent sure you want to join, you're not obligated. But um, but if for some reason you didn't get to sign that. Um, Go ahead, you can check the boxes, all boxes that you both would, if you're a couple, you both would be available. Hey, thank you and it, also to some of you who I know came out and helped us yesterday. I can't believe how much we got done. We had, I, I bet between 40 and 50 people come out for our church work day, and we got so much done. And I'm a little bit sore. Y'all were, weren't y'all, like, y'all were, did y'all get up on that? high thing? No, we cleaned out the AC cage. Oh, that's what y'all were doing. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, if you have your spiritual gifting assessments filled out, would you make sure your name is on it and, uh, and give that to Rick? And again, this is just an opportunity for us to hopefully get to know you better and help you to help to figure out where you might enjoy serving the most in the life of this church. Um, and, uh, and, you know, as I've said, if there's something specific you want to do, just tell us and you'll be doing it. We're not, um, we're, you're not limited by this. This is just one more tool to help us figure out where you plug in and how you can um, receive the most and contribute the most to Orlando Grace Church. Um, and then I think that's all that, all the, and oh, let me also say you have these forms that, um, we, believe it or not, they are so much shorter than they used to be. Mike and Sunday have worked hard. And I know it's hard to see this and believe this is the shorter version, but it is. Um, and so if you would, uh, if you haven't already filled those out, and um, and you can either turn them in to Rick now or next week or even as late as hopefully before the elder interview. Um, but yeah, just give those to Rick either this week or next week. And... Uh, yeah, and you can see the same dates that we talked about. Um, new member installation is scheduled for the 7th, April 7th, uh, which is also the same day we have our church picnic. So that would be a fun opportunity to, for everybody to get to know you and meet a lot of people. So if you see in your packets, I'm pretty sure... Yes, question. You, thank you for the reminder. Okay. I started right. it. I am right. recording. Um yeah, Mike is not able to be with us today, so I need all, all the reminders that, that you have. Uh, so this week, we are going to be on which the, what I believe is week five. <coughs> Let's see. Week six, it says week six in your folder. Excuse me. Uh, we've had to switch weeks five and six. Next week, Chuck is going to come in, and he is going to... Um, introduce you to all the various minister, ministry leaders in this church. This week, we're talking about future vision and where we're going from here. Uh, and I've, as I've said the past few weeks, I've, I've kind of padded this um, to, be, to facilitate questions and discussions about where Orlando Grace is going um, because the, the leaders at this church and, and a lot of people who are plugged in and serving, we, we're we have a lot of hopes for this church and uh, a lot of desires, and we're excited where we think God is leading us. So this is just kind of my opportunity to let you into all of what we, um, where we hope Orlando Grace is going. Uh, some of this you, you heard at the family night, but I'm going to repeat it just in case you weren't at the family night. Um, so, I mean, we are still in a season of transition. Even though I've been here for six months, transition isn't a moment. Transition is a process and a season. And, um, and you know, with, tra- with seasons of transition, uh, this wouldn't apply as much to, uh, to you because you're relatively new. Uh, but people can feel like change is bad and change is hard. And what really is happening is change is loss. We lose things when there when there's change. Certainly, in my family coming here, we're, we're excited to be here. We feel called to be here, but there's some loss in this season of change for us too. Moving away from Angela's family and from from friends we've known for a long time, and so change isn't isn't bad. It's just that there are various there are losses in change, and so um, we want to recognize that changes are happening 
and we want to shepherd people through loss by doing what we all need to do in seasons of loss is go to Jesus, and Jesus is going to minister to us in those those seasons. So I, I want to talk about the future, acknowledging that, that, that some of these pieces, uh, some of these are exciting to everybody. Some of the changes are hard for some people, but this church has... Um, it's, I've been amazed at how gracious and loving, uh, especially the long-standing members like Rick have been, and how encouraging um, in, in, in this season of, of transition. Um, so because we're in a season of transition, we just kind of want to especially now let you know about all the, the things that are happening or we expect to happen. Uh, incidentally, the second family night of the year, no, I, hardly anybody knows this, but the elders are working very hard on our mission, vision, um, objectives, or values, objectives, and tactics. That's, that's a lot of words. But um, so the, the mission of the church, we would say, is clear. Matthew 28. To, to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. That, that's the mission of the church that's given to us in Scripture. Our vision is how exactly does, does that play out in our context through Orlando Grace. And so uh, we have a vision, and, um, and we're, we're looking at that vision to see if there's a way, you know, in this season we can even more clearly. We wouldn't want to communicate any less than our current vision, but is there a way we can communicate even more about this season? And then uh, the values, five to seven values that we have in this church. They're going to be hallmark values that would be on the walls. You know, we would, everybody would ideally be able to say, this is our vision and these are our values. This is what we're going for. And, and everything we do should flow from those values. And from those values, we would have specific goals or objectives. Um, and then along with these goals and objectives, we would have a, what we call tactics, exactly how we think this goal is gonna be achieved, who's responsible, largely this is gonna be staff, some elders and deacons too, but uh, who's gonna be responsible. And then every family meeting, we are going to um, furbish you with a list of these tactics that we say we are going to accomplish. And you're gonna see, is it red, yellow, or green? And you're, you're going to see a green is done, yellow is in process, and red is either not started or, or canceled. And, and you're going to see whose name is written by each one of those. And, of course, our hope is that our, the people who work so hard in this church would feel very affirmed <laughs> when at the end of the year all these things are green, and, uh, or Lord willing, most of them, and that you would feel very encouraged that the things that the leaders of this church say will happen do happen. Uh, and then, and then all of us, you know, myself included, who give financially to this church would feel like the money is going somewhere um, that is tangibly uh, affecting the kingdom of God. So we're going to have these. We have an elder retreat this weekend um, to spend a lot of time specifically doing this. So, so a lot of this uh, is going to be in the mission, vision, and values. But I want you to know that the next family night, our hope is that that this would be in your hands where we're going um, in 2019. Ideally, you know, this would be a January thing, but it, it made more sense to us to give me a year under my belt before, before we did this kind of thing. So that's coming next family night. Some things that are being discussed right now, there are certain areas of ministry that we want to bring more resources to. Uh, so if you were at the family night, you heard music is one of those things. We want to bring more resources to music. So we are going to, uh, Lord willing, <laughs> our hope is to hire a full-time music director. Um, this would be a music director, not a music, not a worship pastor. And the difference between a director and a pastor is, is simple. This person would not immediately be an elder at this church. Now, we're not saying this person couldn't be an elder one day, but that's not a requirement of this job at this point. Um, we have identified if, if our budget remains flat, so if everybody just gives as they are, and, and our hope is that people would, would, who aren't giving would give and people who can would give more, but if it just remained flat, we think we could pull the trigger on a full-time uh, music director sometime mid-year, sometime in the summer. And so we, are, we have begun the process. Um, we met first with the music team, and then we talked with, well, first with the elders and deacons. We made the decision, and then met with the music team. And then at the family night, we told everybody on Sunday that we are in this process. And um, the way we're going about it is, we, is the same, more or less, way that they went about hiring me. We, have, we are identifying people in categories, what we call one, two, and three. 
um, ones are people who are currently a member or have been a member of Orlando Grace Church. Twos are people who are substantively known by uh, members at Orlando Grace Church. For, for what it's worth, I was a two when I was hired. I was substantively known by Michael Graham and Juddy and some others. Um, and then threes would be just somebody we don't know. And, and, uh, and, yeah, and through a process, we, we feel like, all right, we know enough to feel like this could, this could be a good fit. Uh, we are unashamedly saying that if all things are equal, a two beats a three and a one beats a two <laughs> because we know you and God already has you in our midst. And we, we don't know how this process is going to end up, but we have been looking. Um, a question that, that I have been asked often is, is a music director really a full-time job? And, and at, my answer at Orlando Grace Church right now is no. It's not. And so this person would have to have a plus one, some other ministry capability to add to that. And, and people would ask, well, why don't you just hire a part-time music director then if it's not a full-time job? And the answer is, I don't know of anybody with the talent necessary to give us 20 or more hours during the week. And I'm not talking about the fringes. I'm talking about during the weekday, in the office, coming to staff meeting. Uh, I, I don't know anybody with that talent who can give us 20 hours a week during the work week and still support their families. So if that person pops up, if this unicorn comes around, we'll, I, we would consider it, but we just don't see that as viable. So we're, we're going this direction. Um, so, and then, you know, who we're looking for, we're looking for somebody who shares our philosophy of music that we went through last week. We're looking for somebody with chemistry, with obviously the music team, the staff team, the elders, the deacons. We, we want this, this chemistry to be there. And then we're looking for somebody who's competent. And the way that I rate competency, I have a scale of, um, say, one to ten. Uh, on the one would be incompetent. I would be your one in music, okay? And then, and then you go all the way to 10. This is somebody who is, a, who is a known quantity producing his own music, making money off his music. Um, and so this would be like a Christian Stanfield. You know, this is, um, uh, you know, people you know, people on the radio. Um, then you go from a 10 to an 8, 10 to a 9, excuse me. This is somebody who's producing their own music. Maybe they're not known. Maybe they're not making a lot of money off of it, but they're known in their communities. Musicians are drawn to them. Uh, their sig- musicians who play with them are significantly developed. Then we move to an 8. An 8 would be somebody who maybe isn't known in the community but does develop musicians well, is able to make everybody better, execute what we're trying to execute. And then a 7 would be somebody who maybe doesn't draw musicians from the area, and um, and maybe um, you know and can coordinate everybody. Maybe there's not a lot of development, but can coordinate everybody. But they can execute it well. And we're we're kind of saying we're we're really hoping that we could hire in the, in the eight to nine range. Eight is what I think would be most realistic. And as we continue to go forward, I'm more and more convinced that that can happen. But so that is our hope for our music ministry to bring more resources to it. Um, any question on music? Yes. So it sounds like you're hoping that the musician, musician actually brings people in, other musicians in, other probably instruments being played, things like yes. that. Yes, I mean, yes. I would, I would hope that this would be a world this this person would know well, um, that this person would um, either be connected to or could work to connect more to the music world of the city, and and yeah, we would love to have. I mean, I remember at Grace Bible Church, we made the same transition, and it was just unbelievable to me when we went from volunteers to a full-time person. He, he knew the musicians in the city. I mean, all, I remember one week we added a, a cellist. I learned it's not a celloist, it's a cellist. Um, isn't that right? And, um, and it was just unbelievable because he had had time to work with this, this cellist, how much that changed and, and added to worship. So yeah, our, our hope is that... Um, if, if he's not immediately connected, that, that he would be, uh, that, that he would be able to get connected. Um, good question. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So how do, you, how do you get the word out that that's what you Well, Mike and I have been working on this, and, and others too, but Mike and I mostly. Um, we are... I mean, between Mike and me and our connections, we, 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 we can get actually pretty far around um, 
we, we can get a, the only, let me say it like this. If we were to go the full distance of putting it online, we actually think our, our productivity could be hindered. <laughs> because so, we would be flooded with applications that we need to sort through. And we feel like the, the best way, the most efficient and productive way we could go through this is to work all our existing contexts and networks, which are actually pretty significant the more we go through this and understand. And the more we, you know, there's little things like we have a member here whose son-in-law is Christian Stanfield. <laughs> so, you know, we have, we have connections to other areas of, of the music world that we're, we're really able to, um, to, to look through our Category 1s, our Category 2s, and our Category 3s. And so I, I do, I, as the more we go into this process, I am very encouraged at, at the, um, the possibilities. Any other music questions? Yes, Mark, Max. Mark, just a comment. I'm, I'm really excited that uh, you guys reach for excellence on this because it makes a big difference. And I honestly, coming from, uh, you know, being in a college town and, you know, a, a church that we were established at and visiting other people's church, I think you guys already do a really great job. So, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We want every area of our worship to be the best possible, and um, so we're doing everything we can, and everything from the opening prayer to the benediction. All right, children's ministry. Children's ministry is something that we really want to continue to um, make known. This is a high, a high value of ours. Uh, we, we, we in no way see the church as somebody people outsource their children and grandchildren to, you know, I mean, and I think I, I may have said this a few weeks ago. I told you the RUF guy that I was sitting, I'll say I was sitting down with an older RUF guy years ago. Um, and I was talking about how, you know, we don't need children's ministry. You know, it's the parent's job. And he looked at me very graciously and said, I used to think the same thing before I had teenagers. <laughs> and we would, we would say, we want to come alongside the parents and resource the parents uh, we want to, because our children are spread out all over the city, many in public school, we want to provide an opportunity to develop good Christian friendships between these children, um, have somebody in addition to us who's speaking the same truths uh, in, into their lives. And, you know, the reality is that my 11-year-old hears me say a lot of things, and then all of a sudden he hears that from Skylar, and he's like, oh, well, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> thought, or his Sunday school teacher, and... So we, we want to resource parents that way. Uh, we will be having a um, our version of a vacation Bible school this summer. Uh, probably it would be called uh, Grace Camp for a, for a few reasons. That there's is um, mostly because there is an existing camp culture that's there's certain things are understood by it that it's okay that you need to register that you'll need to pay a little bit of money uh, to make this happen and so we're probably going to call it grace camp and not vbs but we'll make it clear that that's what we're doing um we are if you were here at the family night you know that we're implementing a new kid check system where our hope is that we're going to move the children's check-in back to the front where it used to be and one of the problems was there used to be a long line right there and people would be blocked. But if you're a regular attender or member, you'll have an app that when you get to church, you hit a button and you walk in and it sees your phone and it prints up your, um, your stickers and you just go in. It doesn't require a line. It doesn't require anybody to help you. So it eliminates the line, but it also allows us to give full attention to new people. And, and they're able to come in, we'll get to know them better, and we're going to be able to capture more of their data. Because right now, they have to give their address and you know, all their information to somebody who's typing it in. Now there's going to be an iPad where somebody can walk in and type in their own information. And that it will capture more, and that enables us to do little things. Like that week, we'll be able to send them the kid a postcard saying, thank you for coming. And I can tell you that everyone who has, you know, whether it's a camp or just the doctor or the dentist who sends my kids a postcard, it lights up their day and it communicates something to us as parents about their the way their value of children. And so we're excited about um, some of the things that that are happening in the children's ministry. I think Amanda's doing a great job, and everybody who's working with her, you'll get to meet Amanda next week. Um, there's even some talk of you know money and talent. Uh, 
pending. Um, you know, even just being able on that as we enter there, as all kids are going to start entering in one area, to have some fun little graphics and designs that communicate something about our vision and values um, for children. Um, but we've talked a lot, I know, in other in, in last week's class about practically how children are involved. Any questions in the whole realm of children's ministry? Great. And then community groups. This, uh, we do hope, like right now, uh, community groups, it is, I just can't say enough about the people who lead community groups. They have, they have, Dan's one of them. They have led their community groups really well, really faithfully. Uh, I have no, no, I mean, I look at these community groups and I look at them as thriving. All of the community groups. The, the problem right now is we don't have anybody to give institutional leadership to these community groups. So, so most of these groups are rather large. Uh, most of them, our community group, for example, I mean, I think we have more, I know we have more children than we do adults in the community group in, in one normal size house. Um, and so institutionally, I think we need to, our hope, it's not just I think, our hope as, as the leadership of this church is to be able to give more uh, proactive leadership to how do, what exactly are community groups accomplishing, uh, where, where do we need community groups, how do we identify leaders, how do I, we identify hosts, how do we train leaders, um, and so those are things that I, I really do think are fairly low-hanging fruit in this church. It just requires capacity. Right now, Mike and I don't have the capacity to do it. Uh, so in the next six months, I think we're going to need to make some, some really significant decisions about how either to increase our capacity, Mike and me, to do that, or, um, Lord willing, find somebody else in our midst who can. And so I don't, I don't have a, a clear plan on that, but, but we know that's something that needs to happen. Uh, and then honestly, my, I think more and more, I'm, I'm more and more convinced as our culture changes, um, I think there is a, we're ending a season where we can, you know, if we think if we do Sunday well enough, you know, nominal Christians or unbelievers will come in and check it out. I think that season is ending. So we need to be trained as a group to be reaching out well, to be, you know, it, you know in the 19 hundreds you could the, the, the fruit the, the let me say the soil was fertile enough where we could go door to door with tracks and we would see fruit from that that's not the season that we live in anymore uh, it it takes harder work we have to develop real relationships and really get to know those people and be able to apply the gospel to them in appropriate ways where they can see that something about their worldview is flawed and Jesus makes some claims that they might be interested in about our worldview. So um, we have the hope that somewhere in this community group world, that kind of training would be happening. And, and you know, maybe in my neighborhood, we'd, we'd, be, we'd look at the people who live in our midst and, and be thinking, what can we do to, to be reaching out? And that's not going to, you know, that's not going to be um, probably the unbelievers coming to our community group, probably is going to be us having an oyster roast or some, some neighborhood thing where we're getting to know people. I could, I, so there's another church in town that I, they have an idea that I love and I want to implement. Um, maybe if we have community group right now twice a month, every other week, maybe on the week in between, we as a church are saying we're going we're gonna to be committed to using that night as a part of our schedule to engage unbelieving friends and family that we would be able to have people in our home, that it's part of our rhythm that every other Friday night, say, we would be engaging unbelievers, having them in our homes, going out to dinner, whatever we can. Um, I think if we could, if that could be a part of our community ministry, I think that's, that's um, developing us um, into faithful laborers in the season that I think we all th- see is coming, uh, coming upon us. So that's community group and then some. Any questions there? Do y'all have any, anything to add? No, I just said it well. Thanks. Um, we, I talked about this in the family night because someone asked very specifically, but something we want to be committed to is contextualized ministry. And I always want to define that well because uh, some people hear contextual, contextualized ministry and they hear uh, very seeker-friendly ministry. You know, they hear... 
I don't want to throw anybody's name under the bus, but certain certain pastors and um, you know they they see it as a slippery slope to lasers and smoke machines and Coldplay being played on Sunday mornings, and uh, and that's not at all what I mean. I I I think I've I've laid this foundation, but we want to be appropriately contextualized in everything that we do, from our community groups to our children's ministry, um, to our worship. You know, there, there's the you know. You go back to some of the older hymns after the Reformation, and they had these great hymns, but they needed music to go with these hymns. And what did they do often? They picked bar tunes to put those hymns to because it was contextualized, because everybody knew that kind of the, the, the rhythm of, of those songs. And so that's be a great example of contextualization. Um, what are, you know, in everything that we do, knowing what our culture understands and is used to and figuring out all right what where can we bridge the gap to our culture and and, but knowing where does that bridge not need to be you know we're not going to water down the offense of the gospel we're not going to bring music in that doesn't meet our philosophy music and talk about jesus so um, that's contextualized ministry something that that we are committed to and that really it extends to every aspect of our corporate and personal ministries any questions, pushbacks, additions to contextualized ministry? Great. We want to have a missional emphasis. Uh, I mean, I, this this overlaps with what I was saying during the community group, but but we want to the call of the elders of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry it isn't to develop the programs that will bring the masses (laughs) equip the saints for the work of the ministry so we want to have a missional emphasis we want um we want to be sending ourselves into our communities (laughs) and engaging people with the truth of jesus christ in a contextually appropriate way Um, and and our hope is that that as God blesses it and as you know it's that we've got a we have a, a role and God has a role but as we engage our role and God does what God wants to do our hope is that it would be um, it would be odd if there were we went two or three months and there was no baptism in the church it's like I'm, I'm, this is this is different I'm, I'm we're, we're used to having this kind of missional emphasis and this missional fruit why has there been no baptism is it is it just that god has said no and there's a healthy place for that or is it there's something that we're not doing that god's calling us to do as we're as we're on mission um but this kind of missional language is something that uh, uh, you should expect to hear from me and others as we go forward thoughts or questions on that all right i think we're gonna do quite well time wise um our hope is moving forward we'd use our facility more um yeah i don't have some i don't have concrete things to tell you what that would look like um i will say since we're talking about our facility our facility right now holds between five and six hundred people we only have parking for 300 people so that's a problem if we want to use this facility on, at least on Sunday mornings to its capacity. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason that, that we are pursuing. And in God's providence, it just, uh, all these things just happened. So we, we've known that was the case for some time, but we haven't gotten near that 300 mark. Well, now, the past four weeks, we've been between 250 and 270 every week. Um, and so we are maxing out our, getting close to maxing out our parking. And in God's providence, the owners of this land that we don't own out front called us and said, we're going to sell it. And I really, when I, when I came on early on, I thought, gosh, I hope that I would hope for the opportunity to buy it, but not for three more years. I, re- I remember really praying, yeah, give me three years. I, I, the last thing I want to do six months into my 10 years, start raising money for anything. But, um, but it makes sense. God, God is opening this land at exactly the same time as we're hitting capacity. So in the short term, that, that land is opened up to parking at least 75 cars if we do it well. Um, and then it ultimately unlocks all that southern property so that we can, we can add educational space or whatever it is that we need. Right now we can't do anything with it because, because we have no access to it per coding and everything like that. Um, so this it, it really is an exciting opportunity to be able to do that, and that will allow us to use our facility more. We had a we had a church work day obviously yesterday, and uh, and some people added chairs in there to accommodate the growth. And I 
um, between you, me, and the internet here. Um, that we added 100 chairs, and I was like, oh, I don't think we need that, that many. I think we're getting beyond what we're, I don't think we'll need that in the short term, but who knows? Who knows what God needed? But people said, gosh, the room feels emptier now. Well, we've had more people than ever. We've had more chairs, too. So instead of being at 70% capacity, we have more people and we're at 50% capacity. But we'll see. We're trying to do whatever we can to use this facility more, more on Sunday and then more during the week. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's a conversation we're having. We're very thankful for the spot, and we want to. Some people sacrificed significantly for this to be a reality, and we want to use it as much as we can. Any questions on facility or land? Yes. So, kind of getting back to community group, because it kind of goes along with it. Yep. Is there a way to do community groups? Because I know that you were saying that some of our capacity, and we we spoke with two community groups, and they said. Well, I would invite you to ours, but we are already at capacity, you know. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe there is an opportunity to maybe switch those community groups to the church facility. That is a conversation. That that conversation is happening. Whether at a so, so one conversation is just community groups being able to use this facility as they need. One conversation is a midweek a midweek something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm coming. I'm falling short of saying service, but it could be that like a Wednesday night something where community groups meet and there's children's activities and um, so our kids aren't just. I mean, right now the kids at community group are just in a room with a babysitter. <laughs> you just just keep them alive. And so is there a, is there a way we could be a little more intentional with that time? Uh, and maybe maybe you know have a, a prayer service or you know maybe there's an opportunity for. Um, some very short 20-minute teaching from our pastoral interns and people who feel the call to maybe uh, preach more. We're not going to just throw somebody up on Sunday for the first time. So would this be... There's, there's lots of things that we could envision doing at a midweek something. Um, and then another conversation has been allowing community groups to just be here on Sunday morning during church. And that would be aimed at, at um, younger families largely. I know there are a number of churches who have done this and they've thought, you know, who are really accommodating are the empty nesters who are used to more of a traditional Sunday school environment, but it hasn't been at all how it played out. It, who it's accommodated is young family with kids who think, oh, this is great. I'm like, this is the time that I, I'm, I can do community group. So the answer is yes. I just don't know what exactly that's going to look like. It's a good question. And I'm so sorry that you're having to... I'm so sorry that you have been... But we are really motivated to try and figure out this issue. And also having, I'm sorry, I was going to say, and also having non-Friday options. Yeah. <laughs> At least for for us, it's like that's when we try to have a date night, and I'm like, I don't want to see church people on a Friday. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Love you guys, but no. Well, and so that's an issue, but what what is another issue is that we live in I, you don't need to apologize it's okay you need time with each other it's okay it's okay just blame it on that so but the other thing is that we live in this insanely mobile culture so in the weekends either if we're going to go someplace that's going to take a Friday night out or if we have people coming to visit us that takes a Friday night out so um, yeah we would like to have more options both in time accessibility and even geography yeah Put in different parts of the city. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> right with you. Sorry. Yeah, I, I would, Friday night wouldn't be our. I, we we do it right now, but that wouldn't be our yeah. ideal time. Um. All right. This is one of the bigger things um, that we're trying to figure out is affiliation. Right now, we are a completely independent church. Um, there. Kurt Heffelfinger had, were there nine parts to the Nehemiah project? Nine? nine or ten. Yeah. I, I think there were nine pieces to what Kurt wanted to accomplish in his, in his pastorate, and he, in, by God's grace, eight of them were accomplished. The one that remains is affiliation. It is our desire as a church to affiliate with somebody. Um, so the question is first, what do we want in that? What are we looking for value-wise in that affiliation? And, uh, and we're, we're working through that. And, and so some things about affiliations, we, you know, we, we, it's kind of same, unity and diversity are both values because we want to be with somebody who is enough like us to where we're not stepping into this world where we have all these churches that are just totally outside of what, who we are and what we feel called to do. 
Um, so that, in, and so we, we, we want a measure of unity, but we also want a measure of diversity. We want people who have strengths in areas that we don't, you know, that can help resource us and network us and, and make us better at things we're already saying. These are values and we want to get better in these things. And so, so trying to figure out, I mean, there's, um, I mean, if we found a, an organization, in my opinion, if we found a network or a denomination that was, everyone was 100% like us, I don't think I'd be very motivated to do that. <laughs> Because I, I want there to be diversity. Uh, I, want, I think we'd be sharpened. Um, but obviously if we joined, because of who we are, if we joined a network or a denomination, they would not be coming in from the outside and telling us who, you know, how we have to do things. At the end of the day, we still, we're in charge of Orlando Grace Church. The Bible has given that to the members of Orlando Grace Church. But we, we would say it's a good thing to be linked with other churches and to be able, you know, there's so many times... Um, with the last hurricane that came through, we wanted people wanted to go do something, and we we don't have a network that's organizing people that we can just point them to, and we're not big enough to have be doing all these things completely in house. Um, you can in a moment we're going to talk about church planting. Our, our, we would love it if there were some other people, some other churches that we could network with in Central Florida to combine to to combine our resources and be able to to plant churches in you know larger central greater central florida um and so you know at the same time we will you know if there are uh if there were ten thousand churches in central florida in one denomination i I would kind of i'm not sure like that they they seem that 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 would be an oversaturation of a certain thing uh maybe we would do that but at the same time if there was like the perfect organization but we are the only ones here that would be a part of that organization I wouldn't be as motivated that because there's tangibly no one to link arms with unless we go to a conference in Chicago or New York or California and so these are all the things we're kind of weighing um, as we wade into this this conversation and so I I don't mind I mean options out there obviously the PCA is not an option the Presbyterian Church is not an option because we're not Presbyterian we don't have that view of baptism um, an option would be, you know, denominationally, the Southern Baptist Convention would take us, um, and they do a lot of good things. There's there's some baggage that comes with the, the name Southern Baptist. There there are groups like Acts Twenty Nine, or um, or uh, the E Free Church that would be options. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that people have. There there's some smaller groups um, that people have have put forward. I'm trying to think what I don't, what are some of the other affiliations. Is, is, is Fire still out there? Fire has been on, has been out there. Okay. Um, so uh, so there, we're just we're just looking at all these options right now and trying to figure out which best fits the values that we have. And then I'll be completely honest. This um, this community is changing and growing so fast. You have Christians coming in and they're googling. I mean, certain terms, you know, certain things. Uh, when they're looking for a church, we have 5,000 people moving into downtown Maitland in the next 5,000. You've seen these big structures popping up, you know, where uh, Jeremiah's is and Einstein, that's all going to be raised and another facility's going in there. So you have 5,000 people moving here, and, and I think it's appropriately shrewd to ask, what are they Googling when they, what are the, the people that would come here and contribute to the mission, you know, the like-minded people. What are they looking for? Um, and I have some ideas of what it is they're they're googling. And Mike Graham, I will say, some of you because I've heard it from you, Mike Graham works hard to get certain when people Google certain things to put us up on that list. And when people Google other things, he doesn't put us on that list. But um, <laughs> but the, I, the internet is the front door to the church now, and and we want to use that well. And there are certain affiliations that would really that would every affiliation is going to bring you a person and so we want to be um cognizant of the type of people each affiliation would bring and you can in some cases dually affiliate you can be affiliate so the church that i come from is we have this primary acts 29 affiliation now um and then there's this there was this um secondary sbc Southern Baptist Convention affiliation that we don't talk about as much, but it really is something that we we benefit a lot from in terms of seminary and outreach and uh, anyway. So that's where I, so the dual affiliation would be something that would be possible too. That's the I think that's the biggest conversation that we have ahead of us.
How would that um, affect what our Baptist confessional that we subscribe to as a church? I mean, because I don't understand that Southern Baptist Convention has their own similarly but they change a lot you don't have to subscribe to the baptist faith and message okay. that's that's what the southern baptist convention has and so at grace bible church we had a six i'm not we weren't 689 we were new hampshire confession of faith which is a baptist confession of faith but like orlando grace we were okay um we we pr- taught and practiced believers baptism but we allowed you to be a member in full standing if you were baptized as a baby and that's what your conscience tells you is okay. And we were admitted in, you know, to the Southern Baptist Convention without any problem. In Mississippi, no less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, we would, we would, we obviously would not affiliate with anybody that compromised our statement of faith. But with the SBC, that would not, they wouldn't require any kind of compromise. It's a good question. Um, all right, lastly, church planting is something that we want to be about. It's, it, I mean, it is a well-documented thing now that most conversions happen through church plants. <laughs> conversions happen through church plants because you're thinking in a, in a unique way. You know that, that you, you know, you have to lack of a better term you have to kill what you eat (laughs) you know you 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 this church will not work if people aren't converted and brought into our midst and so we we think it's better if there are what's that Eat, eat what you kill did i say yeah eat eat what you kill yeah eat what you kill we're gonna look at each other like (laughs) seems wrong we gotta eat what we kill church plants do so we would think it would be better if there were 10,000 small church plants in the city than 10 mega churches. That's better for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is gonna, we think is going to grow. Uh, and there's no reason in a, in a city like Orlando where we have RTS and Crew and Wycliffe and all of these ma- pioneers, all these major places, that we, we, we have every resource we need to be a church planting machine. The problem is we have to keep it on our radar, and we have to be okay sending our best. I mean, it's, it's going to hurt to be a church planting church. We're going to have to get to a point where, where our, we, our identity is, we feel like our identity is to the place, our DNA is to the place that it, it can and should be replicated. Right? We're working to get to that place right now. And then we need to have people in our midst to lead and to go and serve. And that would likely mean sending, I could mean sending 50 people out from our church. And so that's going to hurt. But we need to get to a place where we can do that. And, and my deep conviction is if, if we're at a place where we can do that and do do that, I think it's going to communicate something about the, the seriousness of this church to the mission of God. And I think we'll fill up those, those spots. I don't want to call them just seats, but those memberships um, really fast. I think it, I, I've seen this happen in other churches, and I think that would be true of us. We, but we have to be wise. You know, there, there's a... It's, you know, there's a time to reproduce. <laughs> you know, it's, it, we, I'm not looking, we don't want 12-year-olds reproducing here. Well, you know, we want, but we, we man, 18 to 35, that's great. Um, and then, um, I don't know how to take it past that analogy past 35. But anyway, like we, we want to get to a place where we're, we're ready to reproduce and we want to do it. So that would hopefully be something that comes out of our mission, vision, values goals and tactics and that is everything that I have this morning we have about 11 minutes left do you have any questions about where this church is going um, what the future holds here or do you all have anything that you want to add Yes. And um, what you, in your tenure as a Christian, will say, the changes you've seen, uh, where would be the positive sides and what would you see was not such a positive side? And so I'm hearing, what are the changes I've seen since I've been in ministry in the area of contextualization and what are the positives and negatives? Um, That's a great question. I... 
So it, this actually isn't a new thing. You know, if you go all the way back to um, seven, late 1700s Germany, uh, where a lot of the Enlightenment came out of, you had people like Schleiermacher, who wanted, who, you know, as, as Darwinianism is be beginning to really become known and embraced, at least in the academia, they thought, oh my goodness, we're going to lose, um, we're going to lose Christianity. So what we need to do is, we need to take out everything in Christianity that that doesn't agree with what we're learning about science, and and so take out the miracles and all that to adapt it to our culture. Um, and in doing so, as all the mainline denominations followed suit, we lost Christianity. Not only did you lose, well, they lost Christianity the moment they made that decision, but, um, but those mainline denominations are hemorrhaging right now. And so that would be, I mean, I think this whole, you know, that, I'm going to say some really bad examples first before I communicate what I think we're, we, so we don't want to do that. We don't want to just, and that's in my tenure, um, I think we've seen an acceleration of what can we do to accommodate the culture. And, that, and, and music is probably the biggest way that that has, because you, you have in traditional churches in the 90s and 2000s, you have this traditional thing that that's, is very far from what most people are, are used to musically. And then you have, um, you have churches, so churches hold their, their, stand their ground there, and then other churches have just wholesale said, whatever it is we're doing on the radio is what we need to do in church. And I, and I think they're giving in to the same, uh, the same problem that has existed for hundreds of years. And you, you can actually go back thousands of years, and you can see when the Roman Empire went into new areas of the world, this thing called syncretism, where they, would, they, they didn't want to tell a culture that they, couldn't, um, that they couldn't believe a certain thing, so they'd figure out how do we synchronize this with Christianity. And we... And, Largely, that was an issue in the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church imported a bunch of junk throughout the world when they did that. So we want to be careful in contextualizing. I think so. We've seen dangers in syncretism. We saw it through the rise of the Enlightenment, and we see it now through just wanting to be cool to the culture. And the fallacy is this notion that if we change Sunday enough, people will come in. And the less Christian the United States becomes, the, the, the less like that, the more that fallacy is being shown to be what it is. Um, now, I will say that there are churches that have done, I think, a very good job of saying, all right, what are the great hymns that we have been singing for hundreds of years? And how do we take that and maybe adapt it to a, a mode of music that is still congregational in every way? Uh, but that, but that we would all connect to in a slightly more significant way because it's a mode of music that we all recognize, we all understand, without sacrificing any of our values in that area. Um, so there are churches, I think, that have done that really well. Um, and, and so that's that, that, a major shift we've seen is from organs to guitars. And I'm not anti-organ, I'm just saying that's where, that's where we've seen that shift happen significantly. Um, you know, preaching too. I mean, I think that that you can you can find both sides of this in, in preaching. You have churches that that because they want to contextualize so much, they don't want to. Um, okay, on the under-contextualized side, you have churches that are just not even going to consider the rise of the LGBTQ communities. You know, like you ha you have to preach thinking that they're in our midst and love them and explain this to them. And, and anybody else, you know, we, we, we want to, anybody in our culture to come in, and they don't have to agree with us, but we want to explain lovingly as if we're sitting down across the table from them what it is that we believe. Um, but we don't want to go so far as to water down what the Bible says. And so we, we want to be faithful to the text. And, and this is something I wrestle with every week when we get to something hard. How do I, what would I say to, I mean, with adore, divorce and adultery the past couple of weeks, what would I, how would I speak to somebody right across the table from me in a loving way where they, they may not agree, but they would, would feel like I tried my best to explain the Christian worldview to their situation. Um, and so it's a tension that is really hard to hold on to. But I, I think when we, when we go to either extreme, the under-contextualized side, we suffer in quantity of fruit. The over-contextualized side, we suffer in quality of fruit. Um, now, having said that, I have seen some under-contextualized churches do a really good job, and I've seen some over-contextualized 
churches by God's grace really produce fruit. That fruit generally goes on to other churches eventually, but God, uh, it's kind of like there's the ceiling that is hit in, in the over-contextualized world, and then they, they go to a church that offers them more. But I do think God uses both sides of the spectrum, and I don't want to be overly harsh. So does that... Do you? What do you think? I mean, I um, there are some churches in the community that have gone so seeker friendly that they lost a lot of their real solid Christians. Yeah. In that process, they lost finances. They lost hard workers, and kind of close their eyes to that. So I can see overly could be a problem. I see both sides here. Well, I agree with you. We would never want that to happen. And that's why I said, hey, you have this glass ceiling in these seeker-friendly churches because people may genuinely be introduced to Jesus, but then they realize there's there's so much more depth to the gospel of Jesus Christ that they're not getting in that service, and they leave. Or if a church makes that – and that that would be true of church plants, but say you went into a um, – downtown Baptist Church, all right, and you immediately made all those changes and it took it and took it to that extreme, you would lose a lot of faithful believers who had given their lives and their finances to this church because they just aren't getting what they need to get in church anymore. And my hope is that no one would ever feel like that at Orlando Grace Church, mm-hmm. that anything is being withheld or sacrificed here um, outside of our own preferences. <laughs> Because really what contextualization is at the end of the day is just loving our context the best we know how to, to be able to reach them without. And, and part of loving that context is not withholding anything. <laughs> the loving our context is bringing the full counsel of God, the full gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, um, but hopefully in a way that is as accessible as possible. So there's a, there's a tension, but it's... So I hope that nobody would ever feel like Orlando Grace is... Um, condescending and let's say, say Jim Davis I'm not Orlando Grace. Jim Davis is condescending and self-righteous and pounding me with this truth with no love or grace okay and I also hope nobody would feel like Jim Davis waters down what is said and uh, and just cares about offending the non-believer in his midst and so that's a that's a tension I want to hold tight I don't claim to do it perfectly but it's something I work hard at every week I see that Paul and Jesus weren't too concerned with offending. <laughs> While they loved well. See, I think Je- yeah, I, I don't I think Jesus was though contextual. Like like Jesus spoke to the Pharisees different than the woman at the well. You know? I mean like he was loving and of course he has the advantage of knowing what everybody's thinking and feeling that I don't have. But <laughs> but I do see changes in Paul's ministry too. I mean obviously the least the most obvious of which is Paul took on a different name in a different language in certain environments. But he would he would go he would speak to Jews from the scripture. But then to Gentiles he would argue from their culture that he would really change the way that he went about it. Um, and, and the offense level, I, I mean, I think was, was appropriate to the audience. Awesome. Yeah, that was his philosophy. Yeah. And so we, we just want to try to do the same thing here. These are great questions. Yes. All right, well, 1030. I'm going to ask Dan to pray for us. And, uh, and as always, I feel bad. I'm going to run out. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be um, rude, but I've got a whole thing, set of things I need to do to get ready. Tell me about it.